0: Forest City Church, anyone and everyone. We've been walking through the books of Luke and Acts, um, 24 chapters in the book of Luke, 28 chapters in the book of Acts, and each week we're asking every one of us to dive into the word, just to read. Read one chapter and during Holy Week, I totally forgot to read. Uh, My mind was on Easter and Good Friday and details and um, I was reading on Holy Week and I didn't read in Luke. I'm confessing that, being honest and human. Um, But uh, this week we were supposed to read Luke 14. How many of you read? All right, well done, okay. Next week is Luke, or this coming week is Luke 15. It's so much fun. Read Luke 15. Um, It's a great, great chapter. Uh, But we're also in this series just trying to um, kind of shake things up a little bit. And during this course of the year, almost like podcasts um, or great TV shows have seasons. We're almost calling our series Seasons. And so for the first quarter, our season was uh, Calling All Disciples. But the second season is what we're calling The Kingdom Is Like. And the kingdom is like, and this comes from Luke chapter thirteen, where Jesus really, uh, basically, says this question in Luke thirteen verse 13, uh, verse eighteen: "What is the kingdom of God like?" And this is this is a question that many many people would have asked Jesus, and as a rabbi. And as a teacher, he would be someone who was trying to actually paint pictures, tell stories, parables to help you have a better sense of what the kingdom of God was actually all about. And he was a master storyteller. And really, truth be told, God is a God of props. Like If you walk out of this facility and you walk down the streets of Elgin, everything you see, it ought to point to the need for restoration and renewal or, or resurrection or it should be a picture that de- like basically describes it as you start to see. And, and I'm telling you, Jesus was a master at seeing a prop and then building a story around it. The kingdom of God is like this. The kingdom of God is like this. Well, today what I want us to do is I want to focus on that word, Kingdom. Um, but to do that, I'd love for you to turn with me to Luke chapter 11. There's Bibles in the pews, um, or if you have a smartphone, you can, you can open up to that. But Luke chapter 11 will begin there. And I'm telling you, I'm really excited about this teach um, because this, this teach is really a theological framework. No matter if you're a sixth grader to a scholar, um, what I want to always try and do is, is, is help you understand this book, but, but actually how to embody this book. And there's a theology that I believe, if every one of us understood it, it would transform our perspective, the way that we actually um, partake and took in the way of Jesus as a a disciple. It would change our prayer life. And so what we're going to do is I'm going to teach for about 20, 25 minutes, and then we're going to try this theology on. Okay, We're actually going to try it on together because my hope is you don't just know stuff about Jesus, but actually when you leave this space, you're like, oh, we've already done this. And safe spaces, and now we're actually going to try it on. So Luke chapter 11, verse 1 says this. One day, Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray Just as John taught his disciples, he said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed or holy, set apart be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us, and lead us not into temptation. Now, we know from Matthew it's a little bit longer prayer, but Luke just keeps it real tight to the basics. And and what I really want to focus in on is this simple three Word, phrase, your kingdom come. Uh, We've done this prayer series, and we've talked about the Lord's Prayer, but we haven't talked about the theology that's connected to the kingdom. And whenever Jesus taught, he was typically describing what the kingdom of God, or sometimes when Matthew writes the kingdom of heaven, what the kingdom was all about. But here's the question. What's like Jesus referring to. Like, what does what the kingdom of God actually mean? We go back and we study history and we can, we can think about the kingdom and, and connect it to empires and, and like, the Ottoman Empire. Or we can talk about the Roman kingdom and the Roman Empire. Like, you, you, you often think way, way back, and kingdom just feels a little antiquated for today. So, what, what, what did he mean? What did he mean when he would use this phrase? Because if we're, if we're gonna talk about the kingdom is like, we got to understand a proper definition of what the kingdom actually is. Dallas Willard, I love his definition of the kingdom. It's just, it's God reigning. And whatever the kingdom is, is, there's King Jesus. And it's in this present moment, he's reigning. It's where his rule, his reign is established in this present space, in this moment. And every single day, that reign should continue to expand, continue to grow. And this, when Jesus makes this prayer, "Your kingdom come, Your reigning, Your rule, Your desires, Your intentions, everything you long for, may it become a reality here and now." But have you ever wondered why didn't the disciples fully understand who Jesus was? They were just like like a simple prayer, like "Your kingdom come." Like this guy like healed people. He had great sermons why, why did the Sadducees and the Pharisees why did people miss it and, and, and I know I think for all of us we have a sense like well if I was there, I would have known he was the Messiah like oh if, if I was if I was alive in the south I would I would have walked with Dr. Martin Luther King across the Selma bridge if I was in the wilderness. As with the Israelites just being let go from from Egypt and watching us cross the Red Sea, I wouldn't have grumbled. It's it's really easy to look back and write a sense of our story where we're the hero. But you got to have a little bit of empathy and recognize, man, I wonder why. Why is it that Jesus prays your kingdom come? And why is it that these disciples and these religious leaders just seem to miss it? Now, if you're familiar with the Old Testament, you'll see that there were two phrases that often were used. And the phrases were, this present age and the age to come. All right? So here's where it's going to be a little bit of theology. Stay with me, because if you can stay with me, it's all going to make sense. This present age and the age to come. Now, this present age was basically kind of understood as where sin, darkness, war, death was in control. Everything out of basically from the fall in the garden. You see this present age is what we're living in the midst of. But someday you see right in the middle that there would be the coming of the Messiah. And when the Messiah would come, it would usher in, very creative language, the age to come. And in the age to come, there wouldn't be death and there wouldn't be sin and there wouldn't be sin. There would be all of this goodness that the Messiah would usher in. And so this is why, like, the, the, the disciples and why the people were like, isn't this boy, isn't he, isn't he from, like, Nazareth? Like, what good comes from Nazareth? Like, like is he really the one? And if you study the, the, the Hebrew Scriptures, the Old Testament, you study, like, rabbinic literature, you begin to recognize that there were seven markers to help you understand that you had literally entered into the age to come. The first one is the coming of the Messiah the coming of the Messiah would bring the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Now, the, the, the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament was only for specific people, at specific times, for a specific purpose, and a specific place. But the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, that would be available to anyone and everyone. But then, you have the resurrection of the dead. And if you've ever been to Jerusalem, you know that some of the most precious, prime, real estate... Are the cemeteries and the tombs that are right next to the temple? Because the belief was, when the Messiah came, all of those that were dead, those those like tombs would just open, and they would be the cl- closest to the temple to continue to worship. There was the sense that the Messiah would come, and all that were dead, who were followers of Yahweh, would rise again. But then, number four, the knowledge of the Lord. And this brings you to the book of Proverbs. This is the beginning of wisdom. It's the knowledge of the Lord. is having this sense of God and knowing God, not just experiences. And sometimes for some of us, our experiences dictate what we think about God. For some of us, it's just the feelings that dictate what we think or know about God. And for some of us, it's just facts. But knowledge is the, the merging of these three. And so when the Messiah would come, there would be the sense of the knowledge of the Lord. Uh, but there would also be the evidence of shalom. Peace on earth. No, no more sickness. No more war. No more rape. No, no more abuse. It would be like heaven invading God's rule and reign. It was reigning God's kingdom. And then you'd have the vindication of Israel. Like this was like part of what Israel had said. The Messiah would come from, from this Jewish line and would vindicate Israel. And then seven, judgment and eradication of sin and death. Now, have some empathy for a second. Can you understand why John the Baptist is in prison? And he's he's going, are you the one to come? Or should we be expecting someone else? Because what my understanding of what a Messiah, an anointed one, is supposed to do are these seven, and you're not doing all of them. And there was all of these props, there were all of these props that were even throughout the Hebrew scriptures, like Jubilee. Every 50 years, debts would be forgiven. It was it was almost this reminder to try and teach the people, hey, remember, when the Messiah comes, it's going to be like this, not just for every 50 years, but forever. It's going to be like this. And so the real kind of questions and concerns were, I don't know if Jesus is actually it because only some of them are coming true. So this is what ended up happening. As a bunch of people began to recognize, well, you know what's amazing is he was the Messiah. He was filled with the Spirit. Lazarus rose from the dead. He rose from the dead. Acts 2, all of a sudden, Pentecost, the spirit is going out. There's this knowledge where people from the ends of the earth are experiencing the knowledge. Of the there was evidence of shalom. that was, hap- there was There was stuff that was happening. And what they began to recognize, and some incredible scholars, George Ladd, I can go on a whole list, began to recognize something that they call kingdom theology. And this kingdom theology was that when Jesus came, he wasn't ushering us into the age to come. What was he doing? He was inaugurating that the kingdom of God is at hand. Now, here's what I want you to see. I want you to think about the drawing that he had this present age, Messiah comes, the age to come. But this is what we began to recognize, is that in between Christ's coming and I said this last week at Easter. We live between resurrection day and Christ's return someday. This is the tension that we live. We live, and what, the, what these British theologians and, and, and South American uh, theologians and African theologians, German theologians began to say, is they began to call this the now and not yet the kingdom of God is both now and not fully yet. Or the British, they say it a little bit different, but they have great accents. They say, it's the already, but not fully yet. And when they say it, it sounds beautiful, but I like it tighter, now and not yet, it's better. But if, you had a, if I had a British accent, I would just take as many syllables as possible. But the now and not yet. But what does this mean, though? This means that the kingdom of God Wants to break out right around us. But sometimes it's not fully yet. And I think sometimes we don't necessarily know what to do with this tension. I think for some of us, we're like, well, if Jesus died on a Friday and rose three days later, why is my struggle still here? Why is my addiction still here? Or some of us, we look and we go, well, man, I, my friends were praying and, and their, their friend who was sick got healed, but, but my situation hasn't changed. Maybe I'm doing it wrong. And we have all of these moments where when we don't have proper theology, then we kind of let some situations or circumstances kind of get the best of us. This is why theology matters. It's our embodiment of how you walk and live and dance with the divine. Now, on June 6, 1944, there was a man by the name of Robert Kappa, and he, he was a photographer. And Kappa um, went with the, the U.S. And, and forces as basically uh, we kind of ran onto the shores during D-Day. And if you're, if you're familiar with D-Day, and these were like, this guy took 11 pictures. It's known as the Magnificent Eleven. Photographers know about this. And these were, these were just shots he took in the midst of this invasion. And these 11 pictures have just been just circulated, celebrated. And they were some for people who didn't have the internet or news. These were like the first glimpses of what was happening on June 6th. But if you're familiar with D-Day, D-Day is the day that we won the war. But the truth is the war wasn't over. The war did not end to what they call V-Day or Victory in Europe Day, which was on May 8th, 1945, almost a year later. And during that year, there was a lot of the the opposing forces that were continuing to do great harm to people. They did not want to lose. They didn't want to surrender. They didn't want to give up. But D-Day was the day we won the war, but the war wasn't over. I say all this because the same is true. Easter, we won the war. But it's not over until Christ's return. And just like the opposing forces were trying to hurt and destroy and kill as many Jews as possible, and as many other people as possible, we have an enemy is trying to actually weigh you all down and take your mind and your focus and your heart off of being Easter people who live in a Good Friday world. And, th- and this is what happens. Some of us, like, we, we go through it. And, and I haven't talked to anybody about this, but maybe I'll say for Mims, this guy's skateboarding one day, falls down, basically breaks his hip. Like, I can just imagine a guy who's super active. And what do you think the enemy would want to get after him? Circumstances. Who, who has hip replacement surgery at his age? What? And all of a sudden, Circumstances. That's what the enemy wants to do. Just, I, I know that he's a resurrected person, but the enemy just you heard Andy talking about this this just this week. I mean, we've been praying for them to move here to Elgin. She and Leonard and Carrington and their new baby that's coming. We've been praying for this. And every opportunity, it's like it's closer, closer, it doesn't happen. And it'd be so easy for just the enemy to go, yes, I got these circumstances, I can just take them down. I could take their focus off of being resurrected people. And this happens every single day. With me, with us. And when we don't have a proper theology, sometimes we can let those enemies' attacks and circumstances dictate how we think God feels about us. And how we live that out. But when you really, really understand that the kingdom is now. It's fully now. Like I've seen people be healed I've seen people who were profoundly addicted and those, those patterns, those destructions, those wounds all of a sudden coming to the surface. I've seen that and I've also seen good people not get healed. And I've seen good people succumb to the lies of the enemy. And this, this, is, this is why I want you to understand this. Now, Think about this. And, and we're gonna make this even more plain, and then we're gonna practice for a few moments. But but I want you to see next slide. As I want you to understand is that if this is really, really true, the kingdom of God is now, but it's not fully yet. This is this shows up all throughout the New Testament. Like, like in Romans chapter 8. I'll just read it from from my, from my Bible. Romans 8, verse 15 says this. The Spirit You receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship and daughtership. Okay? So you've been now already adopted in Christ. But if you go to verse 23, look what verse 23 says. It says, Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. It's eight verses different. And Paul, you're like reading it going like, wait, wait. Are we adopted? Are we not? No, no, we are adopted. But we won't be fully, fully until Christ's return. Because we live in this in-between that the kingdom of God is both now and not fully yet. Is this making sense? Okay, one more. I'll sh- Already redeemed in Christ. You see this in Ephesians 1.7. Ephesians 1.7. And, and it says... If I can find it, which I can, I promise. There it is. No, it's not. There it is. Ephesians seven says this. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. So in him we have redemption. Now, look at 4.30. It says this. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. It's, again, this, this, this sense of, yes, we have this, and we're all not fully there yet. Why, does, why is this important? Because truth be told, we are saved, but we are still in process. Why, why is this so important? We are redeemed. We are adopted. But we are all in process. And some of it, some of it, some of it happens faster for other people than it happens for, for you or I. Some of us, it it goes slower for us than it does for other people. Look look what it says. I'll just show you. I won't go to the verses, but you can see these. Already sanctified. And that's the process, the spiritual process that makes us whole, holy, and spiritually healthy in Christ. But not yet fully sanctified. That's what Thessalonians will teach us. It continues. Two more. It says, we live in the reality that the kingdom is both now and not yet. We are already saved in Christ, but not yet saved. Because we still live in this tension. Or the enemies trying to take us down? And lastly, already raised in Christ, but not yet raised. And what do you mean? Like when you think about baptism, death, burial, resurrection. But once we die again and we rise with Christ when he returns, that's when we'll experience what 1 Corinthians 15 is all about. So here's what I want you to know. This side of heaven, you will always live in this tension. That the kingdom is now and not fully yet. You will. But what I often see is I often see people go, almost pull back from that the kingdom of God is now. And when they pull back from the kingdom of God is now, it changes their prayer life. And what do they pray? They pray, they pray like facts to God, but they don't actually believe that God can actually do something in their prayer life. Or when they're downtown, Elgin, they walk into a, their coffee shop or, or the marketplace. If they really believe that the kingdom of God is now, it changes the way when they whisper and pray a short breath prayer, that kingdom come. You'll, you reign in this conversation. You, it changes the way that you share your story. It also changes the way that you actually understand when you're living in the tension and you don't get what you want. You might get what you need, though. The Hebrew nation didn't get what they wanted. They got manna. And literally that word just means, what is it? And they got it. They got it. And sometimes you don't don't get the exact thing that you wanted, but you get what you need. And you get enough. And in that process of living in the now and the not yet, man, God does an amazing, amazing work. So here's what I'm going to ask us to do, is I want you to not just know theology, I want you to practice and embody theology, okay? So I'm going to ask for a few of you to be pretty vulnerable right now. I'm not going to give you a mic. You're not going to have to share personally what's going on. But I imagine for some of you, you're going through a really unique time. You're living in that tension, and you feel like the enemy is just trying to pull you. Maybe it's through a sickness, maybe it's financial Maybe it's through addiction. Maybe it's through some loss. Something that you're just struggling with right now. If that's you, again, I'm not going to make you come on stage or share. I'm not going to hand you a mic. Don't worry. I'm just, if, if you could allow us to pray for you as a church, I would invite you, if that's you, to stand if you're able. And if you're not able and you just want to raise your hand, um, that would be awesome. So if any of you would be willing to let us pray for you. It's awesome. Awesome. Anybody in the cheap seats upstairs? No? Okay. All right. All right. Okay. Perfect. All right. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to invite you all, um, if you don't mind, to come around um, the people who are standing. All right? So we got two people here, one back there, two here, someone up here, a couple up here, there, there. Okay? Um, and up in the balcony, you get to be the Holy Spirit that just hovers. You gotta be that, okay? Now, here, here's here's what I want you to do. Is you can ask if you can can lay a hand. Um, all right, if you can. Don't scratch it back, that's just weird. All right, so let's just not be weird. It's like it's my dream is that the church is not weird, all right? Now, now here's here's what I want you to do. Is if you feel comfortable in this space right now, the person who stood up, if you feel comfortable, just in one sentence. This is what I need prayer for. And, and you can just use one word. I got a sickness, job, I'm scared about the future, whatever. Um, if you don't, you can do what I did in seventh grade and just say unspoken and um, it's okay. All right, you're safe here. Okay, so just take a moment. If you feel comfortable sharing that, you can say, hey, my name is and here's what I need. Okay, just take a moment and then I'll give more instruction. Awesome. All right. I heard, I heard some people sharing. Now, here's what we're going to do. Think about this. If you actually believe that the kingdom of God is here, if you actually believe that Easter changed everything, if you actually believe that you're an Easter person living in a Good Friday world, if you actually believe that the Spirit of God is in this space, if you actually believe that you have resurrected power within you, if you actually believe what the Bible says to be true, if you actually believe that the Spirit and the kingdom of God is closer than your very breath, your prayers have power. And your, your prayers have power to speak a word. Now, we've seen people weaponize prayer, haven't we? They, they basically use it as a passive-aggressive way to tell you what you should be doing with your life. We're not those kinds of people, all right? Well, we do what the scriptures teach us, and the scripture says that when we pray, our prayers should lift the spirits. It should encourage. It should strengthen. It should edify. And so what I think about is if you're praying right now, and your hands stretched out. I'm going to invite just three or four of you to just pray over the person. Just give it a moment just to listen. And, just, and this is how I pray. A now and not yet kingdom prayer. I pray going, God, your kingdom wants to come into this situation. If I am your mouthpiece, what do I need to say? What do I need to speak? What do I need to call out? What do I need to remind? What do I need to strengthen? What do I need? It's not my words. It's your words, God. May I be that kind of person who prays, all right? So I'm going to give you a few moments just to do that, to try it on, to practice, and then we'll do one more experiment and then we'll be done. All right, break. God, you hear these prayers and they matter to you. And every person who stood matters to you. And God, we thank you for that. We give you all the glory and all God's people said, amen. All right, before you sit down, stay where you are, stay where you are, stay where you are. Now, think about this. Think if you didn't believe that you actually had the power to pray. And think about This what a lot of people say. They're like, you know what you need to do? You need to go talk to a pastor or a priest or someone. They're like, they are, they're the ones. No, no, no. You can do this. But think about this from evangelism, which I know for many people it's like a scary word, but that just means proclaiming good news. Like if you actually believe what's in you and you want the kingdom to come into another person's life, in the midst of the tension, you're sharing stories about good news. You're inviting people into your life. When you see the tension of our world that's, that's fraught with pain and struggle and abuse and oppression, racism, all of that. And yet you, we know that kingdom come. And now and not yet, we become the kind of people who are these kingdom embodiers that are proclaiming what Jesus came to do. Does this make sense? Okay, last thing. Last thing, and then I'm going to have an announcement, and then we'll, we'll close in prayer. Last thing. Um, Matt, if you want to make your way up. Now, last thing I'd say is this. You're going to go out this day, and I'm telling you, I'm telling you, the enemy is just going to try and come down at your mind, your heart, your body, your circumstances, and it's just going to try and say, it's not here. It's not with you. It's with them, but it's not you. And the work that you need to understand is that the safest place is not in the center of God's will. Wait, what, what? It's the most dangerous place. And, and, and if you want to live the safest life, move to Irvine, California. Okay? You want to live the most dangerous life? You preach that the kingdom of God is both now and not yet. You want to live the most dangerous life? You read 1 Corinthians chapter 11, or 2 Corinthians chapter 11, you hear Paul say, wherever I went, what did I experience? Danger. 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 But I knew, I knew, I knew, because the kingdom of God is now, and God's with me, and he'll never leave me nor forsake me, and it's not yet, and there's work to be done so that the kingdom of God can come. Does this make sense? And when we live like that... When we live like that, because there's going to be moments this week that you're going to go, even though I don't see it, I know that you're working. Even though I don't feel it, I know that you're working. I know that you're working because my theology says I have been saved, and yet I'm going to be saved. I have been redeemed, and I'm going to be redeemed. I have been raised, up. I will be risen. I have this because it's now and not yet. I'm now and not yet, you're now and not yet, we're now and not yet, and there's work to be done. Amen? Amen. All right. All right. Real quick. Real quick. Real quick. Maddie, will you? W- Maggie. Did I say Maddie? Maggie. I'm sorry. Maggie. It's now and not yet. I'm in process. Um, all right. <laughs> Maggie. <laughs> Maggie. Um, uh, will, will you? Will you share a little thing that we were wanting to do? And really, you all let it, but give it a little detail. That's great.
1: Um, So next week, we get to celebrate our lady leaders who have babies growing inside of their bellies. And we just want to encourage them and honor them and just celebrate them. So next week after the 11 o'clock service, if you could come if you want to everybody and anybody. So it's not like the whole... We're having a baby sprinkle, and only the ladies can come. The gentlemen can come, too. Um, Yeah. So there's going to be a raffle, and if you want to engage in that, we're just asking that you would bring any type of size of diapers, and that will go into the raffle, and that'll be fun. And then if you want to participate in bringing a dessert, you can do that. But you are more than welcome to just come and celebrate and honor them. Because this is their second babies, So it's like they don't need quite as much stuff, but they still need stuff. Like we still have to pour out on them, but they don't need like a rainstorm. But if I I can take a second and ask you guys just to reach out your hands um, to Bria and Andy. And we can just pray over them really quick. Because, yeah, now and not yet. So um, if you want to say a prayer in your own words vocally, you can go for that. But I'm just going to do it. God, we just thank you so much for these ladies. And we thank you for their yeses that they are engaging in the dangerous of being in the middle of what you are doing. And maybe they don't all the way know what you're doing because we don't. But I just ask that you would pour out over them when, when we're sprinkling them, that you would downpour on them, your goodness and your favor and your kindness and your love, that you would just put favor and protection over their physical bodies, over their hearts. Um, They engaged in this new thing. They uprooted themselves, and now you are legitimately growing new things inside of them. And we are so excited, and we can't wait for these little babies to be a part of our community and to just love them so much. And so I just ask for your provision over them for Andy and Leonard as they're looking for homes and a place to raise and build their family here and that you would just love them in that. And for Bria and Steven, just as they're here and they're building community and they're shepherding people, that you would just love them in that They've got just a couple months left, both of them, until their whole entire world's change again, and their whole entire world's just changed like a year ago, and so we just ask that you would just, that you would glorify them, that we would see you in their faces, God, that we would see you in this season that they're walking in, and that we would get to come alongside them and just love them fully and honestly and as community, as the community and the kingdom of God. In your name we pray, amen.
0: Thank you, Maggie. Awesome. And with that... You are all dismissed. Have a great, great week. Grace and peace.